DC Comics have had a mixed record at the movies. For every Dark Knight, there's a Catwoman. For every Man of Steel, there's a non-canon Superman-adjacent movie starring Shaquille O'Neal. While Marvel's built the MCU into a brutally efficient entertainment machine, contemporary DC has stuck to their scattershot approach, giving us a grim and greedy Justice League, a silly fun Shazam, and multiple takes on the Joker. The one thing the DCU hasn't given us? The incarnation of God's vengeance on Earth. Which makes Nick Zeno wonder... Why, 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 why is this not a movie? Hello and welcome to Why Is This Not a Movie, the podcast where we look at a moment in history or a book or a story we've ripped from the headlines and ask Hollywood why no one's ever put it onto the big screen. I'm Mike Vega, and with me is Nick Zeno, who covers comedy for the Boston Globe, hosts the interview podcast Department of Tangents, and was the first ever guest on Why Is This Not a Movie. Nick, thanks so much for coming back to the show. Tell us about the Spectre and why he should be a movie. Well, th- thanks again for, for having me on. I appreciate it. So the Spectre is, uh, I realize this one might be more personal, Why Is This Not a Movie? I'm not sure everybody else will agree with my why is this not a movie. The Spectre is my favorite DC. It's hard to even call him a superhero, and, and you'll you'll all understand why as we sort of get into this. But my favorite DC title, I guess we'll call it or character, he is, at least in the in his later versions, the embodiment of God's wrath on earth which always makes me think, oh, see, Superman, you get your powers from the sun, you can bend things, and you got, you've got x-ray vision and stuff. Oh, Flash, you're really fast. Uh, you know, oh, great. I'm the embodiment of God's vengeance on Earth. Uh, he might be the most powerful character in the DC universe, or at least he was before he got busted down by God, who they called the, the voice, basically, for not being able to defeat all of the concentrated evil in the universe all at once in Swamp Think Annual number two. During- Stake, so the stakes are high. He was, yeah. he was, I read up, he was co-created by Jerry Siegel, who also co-created Superman. And yes. I wonder whether he, like, after making Superman logo, the guy who's invincible and can do everything, like, how can I, how can I raise the ante? Yeah, he was created in 1940. Jerry Siegel was one of the co-creators. He's often, I, I guess, given full credit for it because the other co-creator... Uh, was Bernard Bailey, who is the artist on that original. It was something like More Fun Comics, number 52. So so he was a lot more benign in 1940. He was sort of just a paranormal version of Batman with a lot of outrageous power at the very beginning. And he kind of gets linked to Batman in different titles frequently along the way. But he's had so many incarnations. There is such a rich mythology for him from which to draw stories that I think that this this should be at least a movie or it could even be, you know, an HBO kind of series. And DC has had some success with darker, more adult kind of stuff, especially with Doom Patrol. But this would be kind of straight up horror, which is where you know, with weird adventure comics. These are the 70s Spectre. That's where I start, where it was basically him finding somebody who's incredibly evil, Nazis, of people on that level, and just dispatching them in the cruelest, most painful ways possible. With that as the, you know, sort of the, the incarnation of the character you want to go with, it, it does kind of make more sense as a series because there's a very episodic kind of nature to that. Like every week you find somebody different who, is deserving of punishment and punishes them, you know, almost kind of like Tales from the Crypt, where there's always like somebody, a double crosser gets double crossed, gets their comeuppance in the end. And also DC, I think, would do well to continue to like 
separate themselves from Marvel by doing more adult stuff. And also, they frankly had more success on TV than they have in the movies. Yeah, with with Arrow. And the Spectre has actually appeared in that universe. Oh, I didn't the, realize that. When they did, uh, he was hinted at. He wasn't really, you didn't really get to see his full power. There was a character that was uh, going to become the Spectre. And he was involved when they did the crisis plot line uh, in the crossover of, of, of a bunch of the different shows. Yeah, he, yeah. He was a minor character in that. And there have been rumblings about the DC Dark Universe, especially around the time when they had their own, uh, the DC channel, and they put the Swamp Thing on TV, which was a pretty good series. And that would have been kind of how the occult heroes, because DC has a really deep bench of occult heroes that are, that are all really great. And, and the movies, you know, the movies and TV haven't really scratched the surface with that. Like Marvel has done a pretty good job, like out of necessity, of balancing their A and B list characters because they didn't have the rights to the A listers when they started. So they, they didn't have Spider-Man, the Hulk and the X-Men. Mm. And so they started, you know, Iron Man and Thor were not household names before the movies started. And DC has kind of weirdly gone from like, okay, here's Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. And then here's a guy with a shark for a head. <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're going from either the household names that everybody, you know, in the Smithsonian, the fabric of Americana, or these insane characters that nobody's ever heard of. But there's like a middle group of characters that like have these long history in the comics and they still haven't really explored. I think they saw what, what happened with Deadpool, which is the one title that uh, Marvel has gone. Well, that's not true. I can't, I was going to say that was the one title that Marvel has gone more adult with, but the, the Netflix shows were pretty fantastic and those were pretty solidly adult. Oh yeah. Affairs like Daredevil and Punisher. And like Jessica Jones is like a, you know, functional alcoholic who has lots of sex with, uh, Nick Luke Cage and yeah, it was yeah. like Nick Cage. It's a very different show, <laughs> a completely different show. I feel like the Swamp Thing series would have opened the door. That was the opening salvo in DC getting back into their occult series. And the guy who I would most want to see make a Spectre movie has been tied to and has written a script for a DC Dark Universe. That would include the Spectre, but it's still in development hell, and it has been for eight or nine years, and that's Guillermo del Toro. Oh, yeah. He had the Swamp Thing in there. Guillermo del Toro doing the Swamp Thing, Dr. Fate, Dead Man, Madame Xanadu. All of these were characters that were said to be in that movie. The Spectre was confirmed to be one of the, the main characters in that I don't think any details of what the plot of that would be have come out yet, but I've been thinking about this probably, you know, I turn 49 in a few weeks and I've probably been thinking of it for 30 years, uh, <laughs> maybe more of a, a, a Spectre movie ever since uh, his role in Crisis on Infinite Earths, the Swamp Thing Annual 2 is sort of what cemented me solidly to him. And then there were some, there were two really solid comic series that came out of that. Uh, one of which would make an excellent basis for whatever you, uh, you do going forward with him. That is one thing about doing comic book adaptations is there's years of storylines already written and sort yeah. of field field tested. You can choose from and all the, you know, with characters have been around since, you know, for 80 years, the dilemma almost becomes like, which of these stories do we use rather than where, you know, how can we tell a good story about this guy? Yeah, it becomes the the uh, the constant problem of how do you adapt this to a movie 
without the fanboys going nuts over what you left out or, or how you characterized the specter. And I think there's a lot you can draw from. You can start with the fact that he's tied to a host body, uh, which is when it started out with, it, uh, it started out with policeman, Jim Corrigan, who was uh, murdered by a, like a small time mob boss. Uh, he was too aggressive, a cop and was getting into uh, this guy's business a bit too much. So he put him in a, uh, a, he put him in a barrel, filled it with cement, topped off the barrel and threw it in, in the nearest body of water. And as he died, his spirit melded with the specter to sort of, there's a lot that sort of goes into that, but that's sort of how he became the specter. His, he's, his ghost became attached to the specter. And that relationship changed a bunch over the years. I was reading, I hadn't read the 60s version as much. The 60s version of the Spectre only lasted for a few uh, for a few issues. I think it was 10 or 12 issues. It was somewhat like the Batman of the 60s, the Batman uh, TV show of the movie. It was a little bit silly. He faced uh, magicians and this, all these sort of weird sort of villains, these colorful earthly kind of villains, you know, one who was, who had been split into another version of himself so he could be in two different places. So he would commit crimes and rob banks in another place. Oh, and then have the perfect alibi. Yeah. Uh, because he was on stage somewhere and that's actually kind of a fun issue because Jim Corrigan followed the magician while the specter followed the the doppelganger the spirit doppelganger of it and they were sort of they had these sort of twin arcs but it was also very silly because their idea of stopping him was was each of them had to punch the other the corresponding one at the same time like corrigan had to punch <laughs> the magician and the specter had to punch this the doppelganger at the same exact time and they just figured that would work so there was the, the specter was kind of silly but he also would go to this different astral plane to ask questions of of this voice to get clues as to how to stop this thing uh, the voice didn't really give them clues that led me to believe that the double punch method uh, would be <laughs> but it was also sort of the specter sleeps in corrigan's body and they they both need a certain amount of rest it was introduced as a plot line in the, the late 80s uh, post crisis that if the specter were to spend more than 24 hours separated from Corgan as his host body, that he would begin to disintegrate. So they would need that. But in the sixties version, there's one frame where Corgan's going to bed at night and the specter kind of cuddles up behind him and is basically <laughs> spooning him like, good night, Jim. Uh, it's <laughs> like, wait, what? The... <laughs> All right. Um, but they didn't really explain that he would meld with him. It was just sort of him lovingly embracing Jim Corrigan. I feel like there's a, there's a lot of interesting ways you could do a modern take on that. Mm. Like the idea that Corrigan and the Spectre are two distinct entities who can separate, but also can be one person. I, don't know, I feel like there's a lot of interesting story possibilities there. Well, that, that's, a, that's part of this too, because the, that brings you so many different places where you could draw conflict from. You've got Corrigan versus himself uh, in terms of the morality of, of what he's doing and his connection with the specter and who he is outside of the specter and how much of himself he retains outside of that. Uh, you've got 
Corrigan versus the specter. Uh, they don't always agree on how the specter meets out justice because he is very fire and brimstone as one might imagine. Uh, you've got specter as this character of pure vengeance. This is something that the John Ostrander, uh, series in the, the nineties explored a lot that the specters idea of justice and vengeance versus what the current societal norms are. And then you've got, you've got Corgan and Spectre both sort of squaring off against police and politicians and modern authority figures who may, who may or may not be doing their jobs. And that leads you into things, uh, into to social justice territory. How would the specter have dealt with race riots? How would the specter have dealt with, with me too issues? Uh, at one point he was purely a figure of vengeance for people who had been wrongly killed spirits that had been wrongly released. But there are a lot of social and political areas you can get into with well, this. That, that's something I've really, really been kind of wanting somebody to do because one problem with Batman in the modern era is that the whole sort of story of Batman is Gotham City's overrun with crime. He fights his one man war on crime because he was affected personally by, you know, by crime, except crime is at its lowest point in American history, despite, mm -hmm. you know, some of some hysteria on cable news, like the Obama years were the safest period in all of American history. Mm -hmm. And yet you still kind of, you know, how do you do a crime story when the streets are very safe in most places? But you do have a very sort of corrupt political system that isn't helping ordinary people and that sort of thing. Like mm -hmm. that, you can't really do that with Batman. Like Batman can't really just go and like punch Congress. But with the Spectre, I think you could do sort of more of a social justice, maybe because of the supernatural element too. Like, you know, there's a long tradition comics of that of like Superman takes on the Klan mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. I feel like there are, you know, there are a lot of kind of real life, you know, bad guys out there that are maybe deserving of some divine justice. Yeah. And it would be cathartic, I think, for a lot of people to see that meted out because the way that the, the specter does this and, and this, this is interesting. There are some interesting examples, uh, in the comics of this too, is in terms of the way this conflicts with humans that he might come into contact with who are not evil, uh, who see the way that he, he does this. I mean, the seventies version was, was just, you know, flat out murder was when the, uh, the comics code was loosening up a little bit. They were clever about how they did it. The first issue that I read that weird co adventure comics issue from 74 weird adventure comics, 434, there was a, a guy who made mannequins and he brought them to life and he had this weird thing that humans didn't appreciate mannequins enough. So he animated them into killers that would just, you know, the, the first, one of the first scenes in that comic is a guy trying to unload a truck full of mannequins and they turn on him and tear him apart. He's just, he's a it's guy kind of silly and dark at the same time. It is. Yeah. You, you can do things like that with the specter. I mean, if, because, and part of that was that his job was being phased out. The, the stores didn't want them anymore and he was about to be let go. So, so he was, All right. he was making his creations murderous. So the way that the specter finally dealt with him is he made him into a mannequin and then when his warehouse got cleaned out, they burned him. And the last frame is him in the fire. And you could see the terror in his eyes as he burns because he's a living mannequin that can't move. Right. Right. 
some of the things that he would do were just terrifying. I mean, his power is kind of unlimited. There's one of the more famous covers where he just grew to this enormous size enough that he just, you know, grabbed a planet and threw it at, <laughs> you know, he just, you know, screw you, whoever, whatever this horned beast, this giant horned beast thing that was, you know, 60 times bigger than the earth. Just to, I'm just going to throw Jupiter at you. You know, <laughs> I mean, that was one of the problems they had with writing. They had to sort of bust him down. There's a very grim way, and he's very unwavering in the way that he meets out this justice. And in the Gotham by Midnight series, Batman is actually, Batman is in that. They put uh, Jim Corrigan as a police officer in Gotham City here. Okay. And Batman's actually the kind of guy who holds him back. <laughs> and another wonderful uh, innovation in that series was that sometimes Corrigan couldn't keep the specter from coming out of him and destroying everything, absolutely everything, leveling everything anywhere near him. So there's a, an early scene in that where Corrigan and his partner deal with this this demon nun who has gotten these uh, a, a school full of children like an old school house full of children like a, an old schoolhouse and he has to tell his partner grab these kids and get as far away from here as you can and his partner's like well what the hell is that what are you going to do grab and he just has to tell him before he explodes and levels the place because when the specter comes out of him it's so much energy it just destroys buildings and and batman is kind of part of the the equation there of making sure no one who doesn't deserve to be around the specter is around right 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 when, when so, so there's kind of an incredible hulk side to him a little bit yeah it's a similar dynamic except that that it just he just levels city blocks when it happens and there's, there's sort of a lovecraftian element to it that they hinted at in the 60s version but didn't really i think the the uh the late eighties and then the, the nineties series, um, the Doug Mensch series in 87 and the, the John Ostrander series in 92 kind of put a little finer a point on, of course, the artist for Gotham by midnight is Ben Templesmith. Who's just perfect for anything Lovecraftian. He's got an excellent title called uh, wormwood gentleman corpse that I would highly recommend people look up if they're into horror comics. I think one of the reasons the comic adaptations work so well with the movies is if you're adapting a book, you've really got a narrow thing to work from. You've got the, you know, you've got what happened in those 400 pages mm -hmm. and that there's only one version of the character and there's only one version of the storyline. Mm -hmm. Whereas all these comics characters have been reinvented so many times by different writers and different artists and, and just the changing times mm -hmm. that you've got all these different possibilities to draw from. And like the MCU has done with some of their characters, you can tweak the familiar version into something we haven't really seen before because that's part of the character, like part of Spider-Man as we get different Spider, you know, Spider-Man over the years. And Spider-Verse kind of took that head on mm. in a really smart way. And so with, you know, with Spectre, you can kind of, how supernatural do you want to go? How powerful mm. you want to make him? How, you know, but as far as him being overpowered, I think you described it to me once that because he's so powerful, the drama isn't, is he going to win? The drama is, how is he going to give this person their comeuppance? Yeah. And they dealt with that different ways. Like he got, uh, some of his power was taken away in the, the late eighties after the, the crisis incident where he literally, let's see, how can I go through this quick enough? 
any non nerd is already asleep or making a voodoo doll of me by now. I think in the crisis series, the idea of crisis was there was antimatter sweeping through the different DC universes and just wiping out. So they could basically have one timeline. That and, was it, the- and it was DC editorials way of getting rid of these convoluted, like conflicting continuities and just set everything to, okay, this is, there's one storyline now. Yeah. And it was also a way that, that you could see Batman die and Superman die. Different versions of them would die valiantly trying to fight the anti-monitor who was bringing this wave of antimatter through to destroy everything. The question for the occult heroes became in Swamp Thing annual number two. Well, how does that affect hell? Hell was rising up. Literally all the pure concentrated evil in the universe was rising up out of hell. And all the occult heroes were trying to stop that from happening. It was a very philosophical issue because evil would swallow each one of the occult heroes and ask them, why is there evil and why is there good? And Swamp Thing was the only one who got the right answer. And it was, I don't know. Uh, And evil spit out everybody, including the specter at one point who was, there was this point where all of these demons, Etrigan and Dr. Fate and dead man, they were all trying to fight what was just basically this giant wave of darkness moving through hell and destroying everything in its wake. So there was at one point, there's a, a couple of frames where all of these demons battling, they get packed up to this giant green hill. And there's nothing in between that giant green hill and this wave of darkness coming up. But then you look back and see that that specter's foot and the specter grabs all of the concentrated evil in the universe and starts shoving it backwards and destroying it and pushing it until you realize it's swallowing him up. And because his mission is vengeance, it destroys him and tosses him out. After that, the series sort of made him a little less powerful and made him tied a bit more tightly to, to Jim Corrigan. But you kind of peaked when you've destroyed all the evil in the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I actually that, think you maybe want to keep it more down to earth. I, for one, I think you probably don't want to connect this to the GCU because you can't have a team up with like, I have unlimited power and the personification of vengeance. I'm a rich guy who's good at punching people. Well, I thought about that. And I think that the way that you deal with that is if you want to incorporate that into the universe... You acknowledge that that's happening, that Superman and Batman are out fighting some existential threat to the Earth. But what good is the Earth and what use is it to save people if they are corrupted by darkness? So you've got the specter on the other side of that making the Earth and its people worthy of being saved. And to do that, he's fighting the more spiritual evils and all of those things are represented by the terrible things that we do to each other and, and war and problems with race and gender and however else we separate each other and do bring, and bringing mannequins to life. Yeah. And bringing mannequins <laughs> to, to life, you know, there, but no, I, I like that like deeply philosophical take on, I also kind of had this idea and I don't know how this even jives with the comics that, you know, he has this limit, limitless power, but maybe he can only use it for specific. You know, he can't just sort of fly around punching people like Superman does. He's, it sounds like in the stories, he focuses on one particular person who's deserving. Well, he will. Um, there's a cult in one of the later series from the 90s that he fights. And there are things like Corrigan is present at a drive-by shooting and the car drives off. And 
it looks like they're going to get away and they think they're driving into a tunnel and it's actually the specter's mouth. (laughs) (laughs) They break and they get sort of torn apart. And there's another section where Corgan is talking to a friend of his and she's trying to figure out what his history is because she finds out that he's a ghost. They find his body in the cement and they make a uh, a 3D sculpture of what he would have looked like to try to figure out who that was that they found in the, in the barrel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's she sees it, and it's him, and she's confronting him about this, and they're surrounded by street criminals, by a gang, basically. And the specter pops out. Corgan becomes the specter and is just ready to kill all of them when she sort of begs him to not kill them, to let them live and reform. And he says... Sure, I'll let them live and then turns them all into rats. <laughs> it's like they're alive. That's why I think that the secondary characters can be very important to this. And if I think it can be made into a movie, I'm sort of torn whether I'd want to see it as a movie or as a series. I suppose it could start out as one. Yeah, that's true. There's a fine line anyway. Yeah, if you could introduce him in a plot line where he's fighting something bigger and more Lovecraftian fighting sort of elder gods to save the soul of the earth while the other heroes are off sort of fighting somebody who wants to blow up the earth with a big ray gun or something. Well, I actually have a, some idea in my head for a movie or a series, but it's a little more scaled, like a little more down to earth. Mm-hmm. I think, I think for a movie, you know, you start with like Jim Corgan's death and then his ghost and the specter and all that stuff. The kind of first, second act, you know, he's kind of exploring this relation to this to the specter and maybe meeting out some justice on deserving people. And then it builds up to he finds the guys who killed him. Mm. Now it's very personal. And then you have to wrestle with, do I want to become a monster and get, you know, you know, he's seen kind of seeing the horrible things the specter can do to people who deserve it. Mm. Do I want to be this monster of vengeance or like basically instead of the woman having the conversation to, to spare these people, you actually have Corrigan having that conversation with the specter and, 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 you know, try to reconcile, I think maybe his twin impulses of like his very justified desire for vengeance and also like his basic humanity. And then as a series, I think you can do more procedural where every week is somebody else who gets what's coming to him. Yeah, but it would still have that sort of philosophical element to it, I think. That's why there are so many moving pieces to this and there are so many possibilities to make something that that I think rises above your normal sort of superhero movie. And I, I think people are okay with dark superheroes now, although I think there was a correction to the Batman idea where he's the, the brooding crusader, the Dark Knight rather than the, the Cape Crusader. Well, I think everything's gotten very, I think partly because of the success of Batman mm. on the big screen. You know, they basically hired Zack Snyder to turn Superman into Batman. Yeah. You know, like dark and gritty Superman doesn't really fit the spirit of the character. He's supposed to be uplifting and inspiring. But with the Spectre, it totally works. But I, th- I think this has to be horror noir. Uh, I think that has to be w- where this yeah, yeah, yeah. lives. And uh, Doom Patrol is also a very uh, adult-oriented sort of series, but it's also very whimsical. This, I think, has to be grounded. In, I mean, you can do some sort of more whimsical things in terms of, of creature designs and things that he he faces. But I think it has to be dark. And I, I do enjoy... The more down-to-earth part of it, that was one idea that I had in terms of Corrigan meeting somebody else who is inhabited 
by the dark version of the specter. Oh yeah, yeah. Evil version, and that person should be a, an everyday kind of guy, like a Bill Paxton, something like that. Somebody or somebody who uh, maybe even I don't know somebody who you would <laughs> you never <laughs> expected would do you any harm, like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. <laughs> uh, but but somebody who you wouldn't expect to be the host of this thing. Yeah, like Nat- Natasha Leone. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, I I could see her putting up a fight, but somebody somebody who somebody who could play kind of uh, harmless uh, or or well, even... I don't want to alarm you or anything, but I got a monster inside me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I kind of figured. I don't know. N- N- Natasha Leone, I think, would just sort of handle that all on her own. That's probably true. <laughs> I feel she's got that sort of toughness of it. It's like, hey, evil, come on, move on. <laughs> That's true. Just so I guess the first beloved character actors came to my head, but <laughs> yeah, I got Dragon well, to pick up. Come on. Well, evil. do you want do you want to get into like cast and director? You already threw out Guillermo del Toro to direct, who I think is is pretty perfect. He'd be perfect. I, I hope that this that it actually does happen that he does the Dark Universe because I think he would get it. I think he would get the tone. I think he would get the look the design of it, the whole, the whole feel of it. I think he, he's perfect for it. And he'd just be such a smart choice for them to turn over, you know, some corner of the DC universe too, you know, rather than, rather than like Zack Snyder's brutalist aesthetic. Yeah. Del Toro just puts so much thought and he has such a love for the source material. Yeah. And he, he would get the horror part of it. He would get that. That's what this, that's where this needs to live. Yeah. 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 To be successful, I think. But uh, there, uh, there are a few other people. uh, I I feel like, some would probably give it to to James Wan, who just did Malignant and has got a track record in horror. I think he would get the look of it. I would. I'm not sure I'd want him to to write it because um, I feel like there's more at work here. Maybe it's unfair uh, to to judge him as a, as a writer, but I think there's there are elements in this story that I haven't necessarily seen from his movies before. There are some horror movie directors. I, I watch a lot of Shudder, uh, if, if I can say that without it being a, a product placement thing. So there are people like Santiago Mangini who directed uh, No One Gets Out Alive. That was, I, I think that's a Netflix thing. Yeah, that, that was just released, uh, which has a lot of the sort of look and feel that I think that a Spectre movie or series would deserve. There's uh, Alejandro Inuritu, who oh, did yeah. Birdman. Panos Cosmatos, who did Mandy. There's a great movie on Shutter now called Anything for Jackson that was directed by Justin G. Dyke. There would be a, a few directors who I think would do the feel and look of it right. And there are a few writers that I would have in mind. I think the writers of No One Gets Out Alive are uh, John Croker and uh, Fernanda Koppel. The writer for Anything for Jackson was uh, Keith Cooper. There's a comic book writer who has done some some tv writing he's written for uh was it the two sentence horror stories which is on netflix now i don't know that one this is a a comic book writer he does the good asian and infidel i've I've interviewed him on the podcast before Hornsack uh pichette showed he's a great writer i think that he would have a good feel for the the way that this would need to to lay out and it would be good to see him get a chance to do a full feature script yeah yeah yeah. you know a lot more about horror than i do so i'm not going to try to outguess you there but i had one more name if you wanted to go more noir which is noah holly who did uh oh yeah you know tv fargo and and logan because fargo is a mystery show with the occasional surreal touch 
Whereas Logan is, or Logan Legion, Legion is a surrealist show with the occasional mystery. But so I feel like if you want to do this is sort of a supernatural, I guess not really a detective show in the sense of like, it doesn't sound like there's really a mystery to the Spectre. They, he already knows who did it. He's just trying to come up with the best sort of vengeance. But I could see that that same sort of procedural where every week there's a crime and then there's a comeuppance at the end. And you like Holly can write great hardball dialogue. Both of his TV series have these kind of surrealist touches. So I think he can handle the supernatural element. But I, I think if you wanted to do it less of a horror vibe and more of a noir, I feel like he'd be a good choice for that. I think he could definitely do horror too. I think there's a lot of, there are some terrifying elements in Legion that, that I think he Yeah, could. that's true. There, yeah. And it gets into like a lot of psychological horror and body horror. And, you know, the, the main character is kind of losing his mind in the, in the direction of the show really reflects that in the early going. He would be really good for this as a series, I think, because I think he could draw an arc. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He would be able to handle the individual stories from episode to episode and also make them mean something by, by the time you're done with it. Yeah. yeah. That being said, I kind of think this maybe works better as, with more of a horror tinge, but you know, I think a bunch of people you mentioned could work too. Yeah. But I, I, Holly is a, is a good choice. Yeah. Finding the right writers. I mean, I, I'm, I'm dying to see what Del Toro's already done with this. Yeah. You know what? I, I wish, um, I don't know. He put out a book one day with all the scripts of the movies that he didn't get to make. Just so we could see what would have, what would have happened. It's been a long time, and since the sort of, I'm not sure that that DC is still pursuing the DC Dark Universe in any way, shape, or form after some of the other titles went down and after Swamp Thing died pretty unfairly after one season, and that their TV channel kind of didn't work out. And I feel like the whole story of Guillermo del Toro's career is, hey, we're going to hire you to do this amazing thing, which then we're going to cancel. Yeah. You know, he never got to do his like Mountains of Madness Lovecraft adaptation. He didn't get to do The Hobbit. He didn't get to do, you know, he's kind of the biggest like what if director. Yeah, I'm really hoping this doesn't. I will be thrilled if I get to go see this. I may be the only person. Well, because it's because it's him. It'll a lot of people will see it. But, you know, any any film that's top lined by the Spectre, it's never been. It's always been a problematic title because there are so many different directions you could go with it. And it needs a really strong editorial voice to handle it yeah 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 it could be that it, this is the rare instance where the like the writer is the most important person in making this movie the other thing is if it, if it's a series you could make it like a doctor who thing where where the specter inhabits yeah different people from season to season yeah yeah you could do one host per season you could you know yeah that, that opens up a lot of possibilities i think you could probably get a better caliber of actor if you didn't have to tie them down for multiple seasons you could even do True Detective, where you're doing completely different cast. Right, right, right. Well, speaking of that, who do you have as the cat? Who do you who do you have playing the Spectre, and who do you have playing Corgan? Well, Corgan's got a lot. There were a lot of interesting possibilities for that. I feel like just the way the character looks and acts, David Caruso is basically Jim Corgan and has been <laughs> Corgan for years. But I'm not sure that they. I feel like at some point in the history of, of somebody trying to work this out, somebody has made that connection. That, that he has been on a list somewhere for this. But uh, speaking of Fargo, William H. Macy wouldn't be uh, terrible, oh, yeah. uh, in that role. If he's uh, sort of done being a little more nutty, uh, you could sort of return to something a, a little more grim. But when you said Noah Hawley from Fargo, I imagined uh, William H. Macy as the villain of the story begging for his life 
from the Spectre going, I'm working with you here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had a few other names. Tom Hardy would be great if he weren't already Venom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he can do a lot of different things. John Hamm wouldn't be bad because he's got that sort of classically handsome sort of 1940s look to him if you wanted to go. Oh, yeah, especially if you wanted to set it in the 40s. Yeah. If, and that's the other thing you can do with this is you can start it in the 40s because that's they've played that differently in different incarnations of whether the Jim Corrigan that's walking around now is a sort of living being with a, a host or if he's the ghost of the uh, oh yeah of the corgan that was killed but yeah you could you could do a time jump from season to season and have the specter in different eras yeah you know with different casts yeah which is another thing that that fargo did you could well, go all over the timeline with it if it, you do it as a season i had one idea and this is so dumb but i also kind of like it a lot which is because his name is jim corgan well first of all i i sort of thought you kind of want an everyman here. You want somebody who's got a real presence to be the Spectre himself, but you want mm. you want kind of an everyman who's caught up in this to be Corrigan. And because his name is Jim Corrigan, my first thought was Kevin Corrigan. Mm. But he's also, and I don't know what the one thing you know Kevin Corrigan is from. He was just in every indie film of the 90s. Mm. And he's got this kind of shaggy everyman quality and is kind of a like, kind of spacey philosophical kind of guy, or those, those are the characters that he plays. Mm. And is just kind of very laid back. And I think it's a kind of a good contrast. Like the kind of characters that he plays and the kind of actor he is, he seems like somebody who, it again, is kind of an unlikely person to be the instrument of God's vengeance. <laughs> yeah. And and is kind of a mellow like contrast to the, the, the specter that he's kind of sharing a body with. But is also like a thoughtful guy who you could see pushing back against like, wait a minute, do we, do we really want to, you know, torture and mutilate people? despite what they've done. Mm. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a lot of comic actors who could do the role too, but I, I'm That's true too, yeah. sort of so stuck on the, the horror of it. But, uh, you know, in that vein, uh, there's another guy, Linus Roach, who was the, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, from us, uh, from law and order. And, and he was from, um, he's been in a few other things lately. He played somebody very evil recently in something. It might've been a superhero title and I'm, I'm blanking on it now, but he has a sort of everyman quality that would work for this as well. For the specter, I was thinking you need somebody who's got a very commanding presence. And I was wondering about Idris Elba as both Corrigan and, and the specter. How closely aligned do you want to make the character with the specter himself? Oh yeah. And you do sort of a, like a CGI version of him as the specter, maybe or you do, or you just have him playing, playing that dual role. You could probably do a mix of both. It's probably going to have to be some CGI just because he does so many, you can do so many things physically. With yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which also led me to Doug Jones uh, playing the Spectre. Oh, yeah. He's he's the kind of the go-to motion capture guy apart from uh, I mean, blanking on Gollum. Oh, Andy Serkis. Yeah, apart from Andy Serkis. Yeah, he's he's the, the captain on Star Trek Discovery and plays an alien there and is just... One thing I love about his portrayal there is... They do the little thing, like they put him on stilts, so he's like seven and a half feet tall and, you know, kind of looks very alien by Star Trek standards. But there's this thing that he does when he walks, he kind of swings his arms horizontally behind his back. Mm -hmm. Like he invented a new way of walking for that character that looks alien and weird. Mm -hmm. You know, like he puts so much thought into, just like Andy Serkis does with his, yeah. you know, he like studies the movement of apes to play Planet of the Apes or whatever. He puts so much thought into like how would this character actually move and what's the physicality of this? He's good at these sort of awkward gangly kind of creatures and, and Doug Jones. I mean, he, he saves you 
on your CGI budget a lot just because he can do so many things. That's true. Yeah. However, he's also very mild mannered. Yeah. You know, you don't, you want, like you said, you want somebody with an intimidating presence. I had actually thought, because you brought this, up, I, this idea up a long time ago. I mean, you were talking about the Spectre in college, but this was also, <laughs> I think this is also one of the possibilities for, uh, for the first episode last year. So I've had this, you know, ooh, Spectre movie. We've got to talk about uh, this with Nick you know, in my head for a long time. So I was thinking of somebody who can just be very quietly intimidating and intense and thought of Michael K. Williams, who, of course, isn't is no longer with us and can't uh, play the role. Um, oh, he would have been so good. He would yeah, have yeah. Goodness. And, you know, like for, for so many reasons, it was such a tremendous loss because this and so many other things like he would have played, you know, he, he has such a great career ahead of him. Sorry, now I'm now I'm just bringing the show to a grinding halt. No, being that, sad, that, being sad with Michael K. Williams, but I mean it's it's a, a notable passing. But uh, st- but starting with him also led me to his Mortal Empire co-star Michael Shannon, who has very different energy, but is absolutely somebody you could believe was an instrument of vengeance. We have Michael Shannon. Uh, it's funny you say Michael Shannon because speaking of, of comic actors, I wouldn't have thought this before I saw Barry, but Bill Hader can do intense. Oh, that's true really well and he's also very sort of a uh unassuming kind of guy i mean corgan's a hard-boiled detective sort of guy so that would be more in michael shannon's wheelhouse but if you wanted to to contrast corgan and the specter a bit more uh bill Hader would be a good choice or even just go back to doug jones as both yeah that's true well if you want somebody to play both too you know the character starts off as a hard-boiled detective i kind of feel like you want a little more separation between personality wise between Corgan and the Spectre. I think you want maybe him to be a little more of an everyman, a little more of like a fundamentally decent guy who now has, now has to be saddled with mm-hmm. like wreaking this horrific vengeance on people. And I think Bill Hader can do both sides. I think Idris Elba could probably do both sides of that too. Yeah. And again, in a series, if you wanted to pass the torch, it would be fun to see, you know, maybe it starts with David Caruso because you start with Jim Corgan, the hard boiled detective from the 40s that he would do well. And then you kill him off for good at one point when he doesn't want to do the role anymore and you pass it to Bill Hader and then the context changes completely. What's that guy's life like? He wasn't, maybe he's a librarian or something. Maybe he's something a lot more unassuming. And and in in terms of the, the villain, if we wanted to look for somebody who's also one unassuming, somebody who doesn't look like they could be the host for pure evil, Wallace Shawn. <laughs> Make him the heavy... Oh, there you go. There are so many different possibilities. I mean, there are the, there are some other uh, characters in here you'd want to have. You want to surround him with other voices. And, and frequently there has been like a detective or another chief that follows, you know, they see the death, of the, the havoc that he's caused. You know, what could do this? You know, the, the chief turns up at the scene. So they, you've got another sort of uh, contrast to what or comment on what the specter is doing i feel like that could be another sort of every man kind of guy like a jk simmons or or michael keaton or even uh doug bradley who played pinhead you know out of the makeup oh right right he's got a certain gravitas to him that i don't think gets taken advantage of outside of pinhead quite enough and the voice the voice that speaks to the specter that i'm drawing sort of a blank on who would be the voice is, is the, the thing that guides him, the thing that made him the specter, the thing that busted him down and removed his powers and tied him to basically being vengeance for, for people who were killed. Uh, it's just a voice. Who do you go with for the voice? 
Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. And I think there's two ways to go. You can go, you know, James Earl Jones, sort of deep booming, mm-hmm. kind of like, but that's kind of what you expect. I almost think you want to go with somebody very soft-spoken. Who's soft-spoken and, in the movies? Oh. And even like, who's a good, like, just who's a good voice actor in general. My comedy brain is malfunctioning on me and, and, and giving me Adam Sandler right now for the voice. <laughs> you should not have been defeated by all of the... <laughs> Concentrated evil in the universe. Like, that's what my head's giving me right now, and it's thanks, head. I, I also, yeah, so many voice actors are from the comedy world. So, you, like, I don't know if you want to Sean Benjamin as, uh, you know, as the voice of God. You could do, mm-hmm. you know, Mark Hamill is very good at, at those kind of. Voices. Oh, there you go. Actually, you know what? That's that's all we need. Well, I think he's actually voiced the Specter in the cartoons. Oh, really? There was a really great cartoon. If you get the, the uh, there's a Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, animated movie, and the bonus feature is very much a 70s version of the, the Spectre, a pilot for an animated series that would have been fantastic, that the pilot was so good. Huh. It, was, it was sort of the, the Jim Aparo kind of feel to the art. It was set in the 70s, very obviously set in, in the 70s. Well, to back up a second, yeah, Mark Hamill played Spectre in Batman the Brave and the Bold. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, yeah, I, I think I read that somewhere in my research, but I couldn't remember exactly what it is. But, I mean, he's also played the Joker. Some people say he was the best Joker. Some people were really attached to the animated series. But if you wanted to go the high-profile route, we're missing the greatest low-voice actor, the quiet-voice actor of all time here. No way he would ever do it. Uh, and it might turn some people off to hear it, but Clint Eastwood as the uh, voice. Actually, that that that's pretty solid. That'd be great. Yeah, I think that I think that would fit the character as well. But I, <laughs> but I also would want to be in the room with the person explaining, like, all right, so he wears a green cowl uh, and white tights, and he's God's, uh, the embodiment <laughs> of God's wrath on earth. What are you telling me about? What is this nonsense? <laughs> <laughs> his reaction to being told what the specter is i just want that that <laughs> that that's the next episode of, of why is this not a movie is just people telling just pitching clint eastwood <laughs> clint eastwood get out of my office kid <laughs> i i spent an hour at the republican national convention yelling at a chair and i still think this is crazy <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess the fine point is that you could really do there's a lot you could do with this. It could be a series. It could be a movie. It could be a movie that leads to a series. And I'm just hoping that, that we get to see Guillermo del Toro's version of the script that didn't get made at some point. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? With, with those kind of things, no reason you can't make a comic. So that's our movie. If you have any thoughts on the Spectre, Vengeance Against the Living, or ideas for other movies that need to get made, hit us up on Twitter at YMovie. You can find Nick on Twitter at NZano and hear his podcast, Department of Tangents, wherever you get your podcasts. And see episode guides at nickzano.com slash departmentoftangents. And you can read student journalism, hear college radio, and listen to other lesser podcasts on our parent website, subjectmedia.org. Stay safe out there. Keep yourself sane. We'll be back next time on... Why, 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 why is this not a movie?